Uh, <clears throat> all right. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris, and... I did a whole show about Zurif at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and Allied Fringe in 2021. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine. We talk about all things wine and booze here on the podcast, as well as popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. How's it going? Yes, it's going very well. It's going very, very well, in fact. It's been a long week, and we are back. We are back for episode 23 Season oh, two. God. No, it's what? Uh, aren't we see is we season three now? It's That's episode right. two of season three, but you've counted it as episode 28? Or how many have we done in total? This is, sorry, I've got the two and the three together. This is episode oh, okay. two of season three. <laughs> okay. And we are back. <laughs> like I, I did say, everyone, it has uh, been a long, long week. <laughs> What's been happening? It's only we're recording on a Monday. And as always, we have got a show prepared for you. So this week's topics. Wow, we've got a question from Dan in North Melbourne. Dan writes, what are the wines that are undervalued and underappreciated? Dan, thank you very much for your question. We have heard it loud and clear. It's taken us a couple of weeks to get to it, but we are on it this afternoon. But first and foremost, though, this week's topic will be winter wine-based cocktails and what you found or what you love. But as always, and every week here on Luke's Talk Wine, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? What's what's been happening? So I had um, uh, some friends from um england visit and every time they visit we um we, we splash out and get a good bottle of champagne so i had a bollinger la grande and a uh 2012 with uh, some fish and chips and uh fantastic it was good well that will come yeah. into play in one of our upcoming episodes when we do snacks and what wines work with snacks. I reckon that will be a great topic for that uh, that upcoming episode. I don't know if Le Bollinger Le Glande I know is really a snack type of wine. It is a <laughs> well, obviously you, it, maybe it is for you. Is that what, and, uh... I was going to ask. What do you have for fish and chips? What's your fish and chip go to? Oh, geez, I just hard to go past a good glass of Chardonnay, really. Oh, Chardonnay. Yeah. I thought you might go Riesling. No, no, I just love, you know, the, the oiliness, the viscosity of the Chardonnay. You know, if I'm really, it's just anything that's light on the fizz so you can slam it down fast, really. Oh, well, I went the opposite direction. I went with, uh, well, the, the 2012 Bollinger is um, not that fizzy. It's not very an effervescent drink. It has got fizz to it because it's a champagne, but it um, it just had a, a spritz on it, and it just melded well with. Do you know what I usually? I remember it used to go well with scallops, but the the new fish and chip shop they don't do good scallops, but they did do yeah. good, you know, crumbed prawns. Yep, and crumbed prawn and champagne. That was pretty good. That was well, fun. I think you know, it's just that old adage, you, you do you. 
but you see that was the other thing i was thinking that because there's a bit of acid in that you're thinking chardonnay because that will what complement yeah. the fattiness <laughs> of the fish and chips Exactly. So the richness of a shadow, the shadow dish. I was going to say shadow de cardboard or chardonnay, whatever it might be, cardonnay, whatever you like to call it, it will match fish and chips. The oiliness and the fattiness in in the in the chips. You know, the chardonnay will just cut through that just nicely. Cut? No, you're saying it's going to cut through it rather than complement it. And complement it. Cut and complement. Yep. Sounds like some biting satire. I, no, not I would at have all. Just, just... I would have just gone like the clean, like like a clear, like I, w- I was expecting to say something like Clear Valley Riesling because that you know nice, you know you sprinkle some lemon or lime on your um, fish, but why not just put that into bottle form and have a, a, a limey, citrusy Riesling and a battered fish. Would also, Riesling would also work a treat. But you ask me what I do, I do Chardonnay. Wow. Mm. And you, you are talking that like um, classic buttery Margaret River Chardonnay, or yep, uh, that's exactly what I'm talking. You know, like may, maybe in Adelaide, Adelaide Hills, number a stretch. Yep, but yeah. just um, definitely. Oh, beauty. Mm. There you go. Maybe I'll try that next time because I usually I, I reserve that kind of stuff for something that's a bit. Um, I don't know chicken. I was thinking Ooh, Chardonnay yeah, and chicken. chicken. Yeah, roast chicken and Chardonnay, another classic pairing. Chardonnay and lobster? Chardonnay and lobster. Again, that butteriness, see, the butter. Yeah, but see, you add, so do you think lobster, lobster by itself isn't very buttery, but you dip it no, in butter? No, but it's quite rich, though. It's quite rich, though. Have you ever had artichoke heads dipped in butter? Never. But artichoke, very difficult to match to wine. You didn't say impossible. What do you? What would you? Well, it depends on how you cook it, I suppose. No, if you shove the artichoke choke inside a chicken, it would be fairly easy. In fact, <laughs> no, it's still very difficult. Artichoke. Not a lot of people know this. Artichoke, like asparagus, like chili, um, not too dissimilar to vinegar. But the first three, they all possess something that is that's called capsin, and that the capsin is the red in chili. It's the sour and artichoke and asparagus that reacts with the sugar in wine, the natural sweetness, and it you know it um, conflicts each other. So very very difficult um, to match, as is trying to match vinegar and wine. Very very difficult. The acetate and the vinegar just makes for a very difficult match, and so you really have to be wary when using artichoke in cooking. Not that I don't love eating artichoke, but what would I match artichoke to? I'd like something like a one of those indigenous Italian varieties. Um, yeah, geez, you know, pe- Pecorino or Veduzio or... Um, oh, oh, you're really going left of field there. I thought yeah, you might... Yeah, so, you know, I want, I want a little bit, of, little, little bit of Pecorino across the top and then one of those dry Italian white wines to go with it. Yeah, but, you know, Vinaccia, but, um What am I thinking of here? Arnais might work. Um Oh, you are, yeah. you're thinking of whites. So these are those are, those other oh, okay. Whites, red. I I couldn't think of a red that would go with artichoke. No. No, it depends on how you cook it. But no, I was thinking, may oh, no, it does depend. No, nah, doesn't depend on how you cook it. it. Just doesn't go. 
But how would you cook? How do you usually cook artichoke? Are you thinking marinated, or are you thinking of roasted, or are you thinking of boiled, or are you thinking of? Uh, no, well, I, I must admit, uh, I, I bow your ex, bow to your expertise here when handling artichoke. I've only ever really had a myself, I've only ever really roasted. I want to call myself Iron Chef Master Artichoke Battle. <laughs> I mean, me and probably everybody else on the street would be staring at that little thing rising up from uh, the, the grand kitchen and just thinking, I don't know, pizza? <laughs> Ah. No, it's uh, it's not in my wheelhouse. Any time I see it on a chef's menu to match it, it's just difficult. So that's that. That, that poses the question. Then, what comes first, the the wine or the or the recipes? If a chef's going to going to throw you some artichoke at you, does it just mean they hate you? <laughs> <laughs> that just means they're up for a challenge. I think. Like in in my house, I'm generally. I always, you know, come up with something I want to eat first and then think, all right, what have I got in the cellar to match to it? But that, I don't think that's universal. Some people go, all right, we've got a Barolo from Piedmont. Now let's go and cook some, you know, braised dish or some duck or something. Like, you know, it doesn't, it's not universal on what comes first. I suppose it, but it depends on what the occasion is. Because, you know, I just have this long memory of drinking expensive champagne with cheap food. And that's sort of why I went the fish and chips angle for the Bollinger. Just to, yes. I don't know, I don't know quite why, but there's there's a um, a juxtaposition maybe, or maybe there is a, a, a flavour characteristic that cheap food is generally fatty, and those expensive champagnes have that nice. I, I'd say, you know, they've got those those rich palates but there's still a, a cleanliness to them that sort of brushes aside that fatty meal and it just makes the whole thing you know feeling gorging oh yeah i, I totally agree there's nothing wrong with you know you know the, the the left hand thinking simple and the right hand you know drinking decadent i i think that's you know like i i like where you're going with that luke morris i i think um yeah i, I think there's something to be heralded about that thought process, you know, what in sideways, you know, they drank what was it, the the Cheval Blanc, the yeah, the, the Cap Blanc with the the burgers from McDonald's at the end of it. Like, there's been a history of the world's, you know, greatest food pairings with, with cheap food. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, yeah, that you know, luck, luck, you know, simple versus decadence is a great way to put it. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books. So visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Well, so you almost, uh, can you think of an experience similar to that you've had, Campbell? Have you ever had a, a, a... a graveyard with a um, a, a, a broken wood graveyard, Shiraz. I should explain. Not you haven't just gone to a graveyard and eaten KFC. <laughs> that would that'd be that you know you do. I don't want to yuck your yum, but that sounds a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but you, you haven't had a, a broken wood graveyard, Shiraz, and a packet of Twisties or something. Uh, no, not that I can re- recollect. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm sure I've done it. 
I've drunk plenty of wines out of tr- plenty of great wines, mind you, out of plastic cups in the park, uh, which we've spoken about before on this in this podcast. Yeah, but, uh, and you tell me how wrong I was for doing it. You do exactly <laughs> the same thing, you jerk. <laughs> um, no, but I can't say I ever had, but it's not that I wouldn't either. Well, next time we'll have a, a – I was going to say pizza in the park, but it always depends. Pizza depends. You can have really nice pizzas and fancy wine and it doesn't um, – pizza is a bit of a leveller. You can't really accuse that of being a cheap meal. Very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah, yeah no, nothing speaks no. to mind, but I, I know where you're going with it. Like it's um, – I would, I would have done it because I'm not – Hiding behind, uh, and I would have done it for sure. I just can't recollect right now. Uh, well, this is this is what separates the the uh, podcast with uh, fifty one listeners and the podcast with just under fifty listeners. So that, that ability to just snap and think on the spot, Campbell. If we're ever going to crack that fifty barrier, you need to bloody start swiveling. <laughs> start 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 pivoting. Start pivoting. Start you know. Be more netball. Well, speaking of pivoting, I've got one for you. <laughs> Here we go. Segway. <laughs> winter-based wine cocktails. <laughs> it came about for me, winter-based wine cocktails, this week's topic. Because, you know, I was just walking past my local wine bar and they had the mulled wine out. And I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, if we're in Spain, you know, in the middle of summer, they would have the, the sangria or whatever, but oh, yeah. mulled wine. So... You know, and, and I'm all for using leftover wine, not that I have any leftover wine in my own house, but so if people want to use leftover wine, so they're using and making mulled wine. But it got me to thinking, I, I, there's, a, there's a heap of other, you know, great wine cocktails that you could do in the winter. Why does it always, why does it have to be winter wine, mulled wine, like, you know, are you into this? Are you, are you into this concept, Luke Morris? Not at all. I have, I, I don't like mulled wine, and I don't know of any other winter wine cocktails. So you're going to have to enlighten me on. You're probably not going to convince me, much like Italian wine. Well, you, you're you probably not going wine. to. Con- you're not going to convince me, but you know, maybe I'll try something. But I, I I've. None of the mulled wines I've ever had have, have been enjoyable. So, what, what's what's well the thing? The thing what's what's mulled what is, mulled wine being the best of the bunch, or is it not? No, no way. There, there would be I don't know innumerable any number of other winter wine cocktails you can use. But my my thing, my beef with mulled wine, and it is a beef, ladies and gentlemen, listeners. If you're listening, it's a beef. If we're <laughs> and let's break it down here. Let's break it down. So if we're bringing red wine to the boil and then right, adding yeah. ingredients to it, what happens yeah. to it? Oh, you kill the characters. Well, that's why they add all those cinnamon and all the other spices. I don't know why they You lose they the characters. You lose the alcohol. Wine. Yeah. But, it, uh, um, yeah, so it... It's just adds colour. It beggars belief because I, I don't understand it because, yeah, you're reducing the alcohol and getting away from the actual idiosyncratic flavors i don't know if you're adding anything to it like well you physically are but i don't know is it going to be better no it's not going to be better well the wine's not going to be better but you know you, no. nobody ever said that cooking wine was designed to improve it 
Um, but, you know, like people in wintertime, they might have, uh, you know, having spent a, a long time in Scotland, like, you know, we used to have hot toddies and things like that. Which, Isn't which that the same thing as mulled wine? Oh, no, that's, that's no. whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey. So, uh, okay. and there's all men. Every family has a, every Scottish family has their own hot toddy recipe, much like every Australian family would have their spaghetti bolognese recipe, I'm sure. But winter wine cocktails. So, yeah. um, what what have I got? So, you, you, don't, you don't have any. None. No, you got none. I can't bring any. Well, I, I always love, um, so, which is, in, in the middle of in the middle of winter, I always drink. You know, late late at night, I often have a, an amaro or a, a whiskey. I, I alternate between the two. Amaro is that um, herbal concoction out of the different provinces and districts in Italy. Everyone has a different rep, different recipe. Whether you're in Montenegro or Piedmont, there's many different types of amaro. But I do is love that it. that hazelnutty kind of thing. <clears throat> it has a bitter kind of um campari herb to it if you would because it's generally made okay. out of herbs yeah so I, I love um my winter wine cocktail would would have a about a half a glass of red wine just at room temperature yeah uh 30 mils of amaro a couple wow. of a couple of um you know not not almost drops maybe Two tablespoons, if you would, thereabouts of apple cider, a good cloudy apple cider. Oh, wow. a couple of drops, couple of drops of bitters, Angostura bitters, or whatever you got laying around, and just simply garnish with a slice of red apple. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. What do you call that? Yeah, it's just it's just a, a, a autumnal wine, autumnal wine cocktail, autumn goodness. It's just perfect. That doesn't no, nah, that doesn't have a. That's not going to sell on the chalkboard. You got to call it Campbell's beef, or something. Well, you probably could. Yeah, you could come up with a, an amazing. I've never. It's just something I've made at home. You know, one glass of Campbell's gym. beef, please. And then, what? What's, so what's is it? Is it? A, do, do you use Pinot stock or Shiraz or Cabernet or what do you? No, generally something. Generally something soft. So Pinot or Grenache usually. So okay, um, something soft, but just just at room temperature or cellar temperature. You don't. You know, we're not. We're not cooking it, people. We're not cooking the wine. But isn't that the to... idea of winter warming wines is that they're warmer than room temperature? They warm you up. But warming alcohol, Luke. Okay. All right. This, this particular um, concoction of mine, this winter warmer of mine, it's got, you know, it's four parts alcohol. So it's up there. You know, it's going <laughs> to bring you a little bit of warmth at the end of a long day. <laughs> I do like that. That's a good. That's a good cocktail. It's none of this uh, uh, lemonade and spritz, and uh, it's 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 a type of alcohol and a type of alcohol plus a type of alcohol. And here's another bit of alcohol <laughs> and yep. some apple to it. garnish. <laughs> and can you see the theme developing here? <laughs> oh, going off last week's dry July episode. Um, yeah, dry July's over. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're back with a bang. We're ready to go. <laughs> no, but I just, I just, I just come. I can't come at cooking alcohol and infusing things in it. I just think it's all, you know. Just let's just keep it simple. But it's supposed to be. So is that? Is isn't mulled wine just that? So the idea. So they cook it and then they add 
flavor, they add flavor. So it's really not about the wine. The, the wine imparts a texture and a color, but that's it. Well, then call it mold texture. Why are they calling it mold <laughs> wine? <laughs> no, I'm serious. You're laughing at me. I'm serious. Like, if it's not about the wine, let's not downgrade wine by associating it with anything we're cooking in it. All right. Yeah, okay. But, but what about cockavan? What about cockavan? You know, you're cooking in wine there. Are you are you saying you shouldn't be you should be calling it coco texture? No, but you're calling it cockavan because that wine is imparting chicken colour and it's in, sorry, it's imparting chicken. It's imparting colour and flavour <laughs> into the chicken, you know, that, that really ah. does do something. But with mulled texture, you're just in, <laughs> you're just in part, you're cooking all the flavour out of it. I'm refusing okay. to call it mulled wine from here on in. It's just going to be mulled texture. You're going to get a lot of weird looks. You're going to have to. You're going to have to like print a URL to this episode of the of podcast and just hand it to people when they stare at you strange. <laughs> so well, okay, so you've got Campbell's beef as a cocktail. Yep. Uh, are there any others? Um, well, you can do all manner of things with wine, but yeah, once you once you start getting into the bigger wines, you, you know, and, and you start using things like there's another one too. Um, I, I don't drink a lot of uh, digestives, Armagnac, Bar Armagnac, and cognacs anymore. I just basically stick to Amaro and whiskey. But the other great one is if you've got it, depending on how you got your bar set up at home, but. <laughs> a little bit of either Cabernet or Shiraz. So again, half a glass Cabernet or Shiraz. Oh, make your own blend. No, one or the other. Always oh, one or the oh, other. Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying you add some Cabernet to Shiraz. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you no, can no, get no. that in a bottle normally, but you can mix it yourself. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, now, now, come on, no. no I'm no, sorry. No. I just misunderstood. That's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> um. I've totally lost my train of thought now. Going yeah, you, back, you, yeah, on your bar, you've got you can take a bit of Cabernet or a bit of Shiraz. Yes, that's right. So, Cabernet, bit of Shiraz, dash dash of sugar syrup, finish it off uh-huh. sugar syrup or um, with a you know hints of vanilla or from the spice cupboard, and then you want to finish it off. You want to get a whole heap of kind of um, you know these are like f- f- fresh. Would it be wooded herbs, so rosemary or thyme, whatever you got in the garden? Yeah. Half, a, half a glass of Cabernet of Shiraz, a good whack of sugar syrup, a handful, a small bunch of either rosemary or thyme, those wooded, wooded herbs, all in the glass together, a little bit of a muddle, squeeze a lemon to finish, strain, yeah. serve it in the wine glass. Absolutely banging. Wow. And you, you could serve that one over a glass of ice if you really wanted to. Uh, I just like one big cube of ice in there, but you could do it without ice if you wanted to as well. And if, you've got, if you're to, adding sugar syrup, could you just use a fortified? Yes, you could use a fortified as well. You could definitely use, but you know, once I start telling people half a glass of Shiraz and a quarter of a glass of fortified, people do look at you funny. But yes, no, now you are on my path, Luke Morris. Definitely. Oh, good. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually no. Just when you, now that you make me think about it, winter warmer wines, I'd just get a fortified. I'd just get a a good Rutherglen, Tokay, something like that. 
and I'd, I'd be satisfied. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not very good at cocktails. It's too many steps. Too many steps. <laughs> what what we'll do is I'll, I'll get I'll get this recipe to you and we'll get it up on the we'll get it up on there for people and they can have a go at it at home. And oh, they can get a, like have a look on the um, Instagram page. Yes, you can, we can, we can share Instagram it on there. Now. Yeah, yep. Luke's talk wine Instagram. That's it. Bang. Give us some feedback. Dan Dan from North Melbourne has given us some feedback. Dan wrote in actually, and Dan, it's been a long time coming, I know, but thank you very much. That's oh, only two weeks. Yeah, Dan, Dan will survive. Rightio. Dan writes, "Hey, what wines are undervalued or underappreciated?" So I reckon this is um, this is in your wheelhouse because you drink diversely, Luke Morris, and you often pull out <laughs> something that I think, yeah, that is underrated. Or underappreciated. So lay it on me. What have you got for me? Oh, you see, I think Dan's looking for brand names and things, and I'm not that good with that stuff. I, I usually just it's like it's because I've worked in farming. I always look look back at how much people have to spend for the grapes. Yep. And you know, well, Campbell, being from the hunter, you might think Semillon's quite an expensive grape because there's high value in the Hunter Semyon, but uh, diversely, Semyon isn't that expensive. And it's, and like our love of Riesling, it's also not that expensive in the winery. And so you can get some good grapes. There's a lot of good old Semyon, good old Riesling vines around. And the vinification of all that doesn't cost you a lot. And so you get really good value for money out of those things. Um, uh, I, I wish I could say Gamay. Well, probably, it depends on what you're also trying to buy because you and I will probably agree that uh, Burgundy uh, is is the very rich man's Australian Pinot. So if you just want a good Pinot, don't bother buying Burgundy. There's plenty of good stuff in Australia at the same price. Um, but it's hard to... I don't know, there's so much flood of Shiraz at the moment because of exports and, and cost of transport like there's a lot of Shiraz that's coming down in price yep but I can't I, can't, I couldn't really I, I think Dan wants me to say something like so I'm looking around my room to give to try and give myself a okay teddy bear <laughs> naming something after something in the room teddy bear teddy bear Shiraz is, is really low is, is great value for money you should go buy some of that but you know I don't know that many. I honestly don't know that many producers in the, in that sort of style. Um, yeah, sure. Well, this is what's great about yeah. Luke's talk. So I I thought that Dan was going the absolute opposite direction to that. I thought Dan oh, yeah. was just talking about undervalued regions, under underappreciated. Ah. Styles, and this is what's great. You get two personalities here on Luke's Talk Wine and Luke's Talk Riesling, whatever we are this week. <laughs> but I to, am. I, I, to, can I can I re-answer that question because I've got an yes. absolute off the top like uh, do it. Pyrenees Pyrenees Shiraz undervalued. There is so many great vineyards in the Pyrenees. Uh, you've got uh, Teltani, you've got Bests, you've got uh, Mount Langi Duran, uh, you've got Summerfield. You've got uh, Kim Kimbara. Sorry, 
Dalwinnie. Um, well, Dalwinnie is a bit more expensive, but there's so many really good Shiraz producers. And I, I talk to people day in, day out about Shiraz pretty much because that's the most popular grape varietal in Australia. And it's almost, you know, Brussels and McLaren Vale and who cares about the rest. But, oh, my goodness, the, 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 the reds coming out of Pyrenees and, of course, Heath gets a bit more expensive now, but there's and, – and Margaret River Shiraz is actually really good too, and people seem to be less likely to buy those wines, but the quality some, is some of the, some of the up stuff, there. Some of the stuff out of the Great Southern, some of the Shiraz out of the, the Great Southern oh, yeah. are in the, in the cooler parts of WA, extraordinary. They're, they're absolutely extraordinary wines. Um, but just going back to go forward to um, the Pyrenees and the Great Western – did you, by any chance, have you ever been lucky enough to taste some of the Jimmy Watson winner, the Fallen Giants Shiraz from last year? Did you ever no. taste any of that? No. no. no I thought that would be in your wheelhouse. Um, no, I don't think you can buy it anymore. But, um, yeah, just as soon as you reminded me about that, because, yeah, just un- undervalued and underrated. I, I couldn't agree with yeah. you more. Um, yeah, I, I always think I definitely think Semillon is underrated and undervalued. If you, anyone out there starting a cellar, you want some white in it. Semillon. Oh yeah, starting a cellar is one of the tips for starting a cellar is buy stuff that you don't really think you're going to be you into at the moment, because when your palate changes in five ten years, you're going to want that beautiful aged Semillon in that cellar. Absolutely. And uh, what else? Uh, you mentioned Gamay, so anything from Beaujolais, you know, bought, um, Burgundy's poor cousin is still underrated these days and under- yep. undervalued. Yep. Um, un- probably undervalued more so uh, yeah. these days. Don't, don't buy Burgundy, buy Beaujolais. Buy Beaujolais, much, more, much better value. Uh, Dolcetto from Piedmont, underrated. Um, you know, even in Australia, we produce some, there's some great Dolcettos coming out of the, the Riverland. There's a few coming out of King Valley, Heathcote producing some now. I think that's just an underrated grape variety. It's not going to, you know, sell it for 25 years, but as far as fruit and weight uh, and just, you know, all-round all drinkability, some Dol- Dolcettos from Piedmont, great. While we're in Europe, you know, Menthia, Menthia from Spain is also <laughs> great um, and underrated. So Menthia spelled M-E-N-C-I-A. Um you know, we, we're still seeing we're seeing dribs and drabs come out of Spain and Portugal into Australia. There's not a heap of producers that come in, but the ones that do are just really fruit forward and lithe and and just you know just yeah just utterly delicious. And you can still get them for relatively cheap, really. Um, oh yeah. Australia, what just um, you know yeah like Grampy and Shiraz for sure. Um, Rather, Glenn. What else? Rather, Glenn, I reckon's got a, a um, still got some good stuff. Um, Fleury Peninsula. There's a lot of stuff um, in WA and not in WSA. Um, mm. That Fleury. What's what's next to McLaren Vale? What's that region next? Langhorne Creek. Langhorne Creek, Limestone Coast area. Yeah, Langhorne Creek doesn't sell as well as a brand as. Um, uh, uh, other wines, but um, good, good farming, good fruit, good, 
good quality. Got some great history in the Australian wine industry. A lot of great yeah. producers had vineyard holdings there at one stage or another. Yep. Australian Grenache is still undervalued. Australian Grenache? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know because the good stuff is still sort of expensive. I think I don't think there's enough Grenache. I think there's I think there's not enough demand, but there's high quality. Yeah. And with that, we hope you've answered your question, Dan. <laughs> All right. In the words of Tony Barbara, I've been Luke Campbell. He's been Luke Morris. You can find us at Luke's Talk Wine, but keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au